Welcome to the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast. This is your host, Lisa Tomey. Today we have Hope Talk with Howard Moon. And believe me, you're in for a treat. Welcome to the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast and YouTube. This is your host, Lisa Tomey. Today, I'm happy to have Howard Moon here. He's coming all the way from Florida. Well, I'm based in North Carolina, so we're not too far apart. And um, so welcome, Howard. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I understand that you had a career as a broadcaster and professional writer. Can you tell us a little bit about your career? Yeah, when I came out of college, I went into broadcasting. I worked at radio stations. I read the news. So there are times when I used to tell people I was a broadcast journalist, but I really wasn't. I just ripped the news off the teletype at a couple of the stations I worked at and read it. But broadcast journalist sounds much more sophisticated than a radio announcer. (laughs) I worked as a radio announcer. After that, I went into the military. From the military, when I got out, I was looking for work. And I found out I could write. So I actually started as a technical writer. And most of what I wrote was corporate Mm -hmm. writing. I wrote a lot of magazine articles at that time. Then in retirement, I've turned to poetry and flash fiction since I don't have to worry about if I'm getting paid for it now. So I can write what I want, not what I'm getting paid for. Although I should say, for so many years, I get paid to put words on paper. And to me, that's what a writer is being about, putting words on paper. Because no matter right. what you write, it's creative. I could be telling you how to assemble a widget. And if I do it properly, it's creative. So I've always liked yeah. to think of myself as a creative writer. But I'm really immersed into poetry and flash fiction right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got some of that from my father. He was in the military, too, but he... Um, he used to have to write speeches and, and that for his superiors and even after the military. And yeah, so I got some of that from him as well. So I can relate to that, but I certainly would rather write poetry than to write articles. <laughs> I know I do both. <laughs> now we did talk before we started about your being of the Native American heritage. And um, can you tell us a little bit about that background? Yeah, I my grandfather was born on the reservation. My grandfather and my granduncle. I've got a poem about my granduncle in one of my books that I can read a little later after we get to that point. They were both born on a Fox reservation in the Michigan area. There were not a lot of Fox up there. Most of the Fox had been moved during the dysphoria, during the Trail of Tears down to Oklahoma. But he was on one of the smaller reservations that was overlooked. But he wasn't, he didn't present himself as Native as I was growing up. He was Native and he would talk about it. But I really accepted my Native heritage when I was in college and became more of an advocate. Because in college, we tend to become advocates. We tend to branch out on our own. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've become even more immersed in my, my heritage because... It's so important. There's so much going on that's harming the Native Americans. Uh, there's so yeah. much misinformation out there. 
So I was looking up, um, someone had sent me a link and I looked up to see um, what, you know, what you could basically what tribes there were in the area that I live in. And there were a couple of them came up. I think one of them was Lucala or something like that. That goes way down, you know, through the history to the original. And so I'm trying to follow that uh, particular one since, you know, they're in my area. To, to kind of see what's what's happening. I think it's important to be in touch with these things, regardless of what your heritage is. Yes. Yes. And as as a child, you know, my dad never said, hey, we're native. And yet I remember as a very, very small child, we lived in northern New Jersey. We would go down to what is called the Pine Barrens. I can remember as a little kid going to the Lenny Lenape reservations long before they were tourist areas. This was back in the late 50s. So something in my brain keeps nagging me that my dad was trying to show me something way back then. He was not a very expressive guy. He was a great father, but not very expressive. And I think this was one of the ways he was trying to show me what was out there and where I came from and what I should, you know, feel. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, if we're open to those experiences, there's a lot of things that can be pointed to by our ancestors. And I saw that in one of the poems that you had, uh, I don't remember the name of it now, but on YouTube, um, you were talking about that very thing. So now I understand that you had a stroke and that left you with some physical problems. And But you are doing great with your poetry writing. I had a stroke in 2012, shortly after my father passed away. Probably the stress Mm -hmm. of his passing and dealing with the, you know, the inheritance and all that stuff. And at that time, I was working as a small businessman. I had a small computer business, but I was not able to walk properly for quite a while. I, one side of me was affected. In fact, the doctor still. I have hemiplegia, but I move around really well, but one side is still weak. I have some dead spots in my brain, although they seem to be disappearing, which amazes me. I didn't know the brain could regenerate, but some research now is showing it actually does. Mm -hmm. At that time, I decided to retire. I went on disability. I was 62 years old, Mm -hmm. went on disability, shut down my business, started to write. I write was writing poetry. Actually, interesting story, and I've actually got an article out on um, pillpacker.com, which is a, has, it's closing down, unfortunately, but they used to take articles for the people with disabilities. For the first six months after my stroke, I forgot how to write. Oh, wow. I sat down in front of the keyboard, and I could, nothing came out. So I had to figure out a new way of writing. In the past, I wrote by talking to myself in my head. I didn't make notes for most of my work. I would just let it, as I told people, it would be processing in the background of my computer brain. And when I sat down in front of a keyboard or a typewriter, it would all shoot out. A voice would dictate it. Well, Mm -hmm. that stopped. And I didn't know how to write anymore because the voice was gone. So Mm -hmm. I think I talked to myself. I made up a voice in my head and all of a sudden that started to work. So I started to write again. I was very, very happy. (laughs) That's amazing. Yes. Well, you know, determination. Human beings are resilient. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a brain injury and somehow 
it's fixing itself. I suffered from depression and some other mild mental illnesses. And I still probably, they're back there, but they don't manifest and they don't really affect my life anymore. I still, I'm an operator on our state's mental health line uh, four nights a week. I feel obligated to help other people who are suffering with mental illness. In fact, my very first poetry book, Poems from a Shattered Brain, Mm-hmm. was about living with mental illness. That's that's right. where they came from. I, writing the poems helped me to recover. Okay. I think poets, we, we write because we need it to help ourselves or heal ourselves. We don't write thinking, gee, somebody's going to read this. Although when somebody reads it, it is wonderful. And when somebody responds to you and says, Howard, I really enjoyed that poem, that's mm-hmm. even better. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Now, you have three poetry books on Amazon and a collection of flash fiction zombie stories called Zombies Are Not Vegetarians. I'm curious about that. (laughs) I go to something called Dragon Con every year for the last probably 15 to 20 years. It's the one of the largest cosplay science fiction, horror movies where everybody dresses up. It's in Atlanta over Labor Day weekend. I've been taking my grandkids. Now when they come with me, they go on their own because they're adults. Zombies have never been my favorite subject, but I started writing weird zombie stories. I write about the lonely zombie, the depressed zombie. My zombies are not your run-of-the-mill zombie. (laughs) And having spent a short time as a journalist, a few years I was a columnist, I found I couldn't write a novel. I got to a thousand words, which is what my column had to be. And I thought, well, I'm done. If you can't say it in a thousand words, you're just not doing it right. Mm -hmm. Last fiction is great. 500 to 800 words. I compiled them into a book. I had a a young lady I know who I met at one of the science fiction conventions, who's an artist, draw my cover illustration. I said, I want a zombie sitting in the vegetable department with vegetables all around him but eating a leg. So that's what she did because zombies are vegetarian. They don't like carrots or apples or anything like that. So <laughs> that was a fun book. And I tell people my grandkids were my source for that and my experts. I would call my grandson and say, can zombies do this? And they would say, pop up. Zombies aren't real. You can make them do anything you want. That's right. <laughs> and, I, and just recently I've put out a Kindle book that for some reason isn't showing up linked to my author page properly. Uh, Short native stories Mm -hmm. based on native tradition and lore, like how does so-and-so get their tail or something like that. But I've taken and made it my own. I will look at what's out there in a bunch of different traditions. And then I will, will write a short 600 word story of how I would have told that story. It's called The First Storyteller. I'm hoping to get it out soon in paperback, but it's so small. I'm not sure if Amazon will put something with that few pages on there, but somehow or other, I'll get it out there. <laughs> I'm sure we will. you will. You seem to be a very, very determined man. Now I'm yes. showing that you have a website called howmoon.com, mm-hmm. um, which is, um, tell us a little bit about you. See, you have an, a, uh, autographed copy of your book right now uh, with uh, color uh, print. Is that right? 
Yes, yeah, so the last poetry book I did was called Outside Looking In, a collection of illustrated poetry. I just finished reading that. And I took some of the illustrations and put the poems next to them and did prints of them. And then I colorized it before I printed. The book is in black and white. Mm -hmm. and I'm not an illustrator. Actually, I took art lessons when I was in grade school and I have on my wall here, we found them in the garage recently, some of my old artwork from grade school. Yeah. But I find I can I can do charcoal sketches. Yeah, I think they're pretty cool. With charcoal, when you make a mistake, you can smudge it with a Q-tip or a yeah. piece of tea. <laughs> Only we could do that with life, right? Oh, I screwed up. I'm just going to smudge it a little bit here and smudge make it Smudge it out. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Well, I yes. enjoyed your illustrations in your book as, and from an you know, artist's perspective, because I'm an artist as well. Um, I really found that these to be just perfect. I really enjoyed them a lot. And to see them colorized, it just adds more to it. So, wow, <laughs> that's really nice. My next and, book, which, which I'm waiting to release until maybe I can go to a book show, is mm -hmm. I, I took a online class on how to cut paper to do paper cutting. Mm -hmm. So my next book will be paper cut poems. That won't cool. be the time, but there'll be each poem will have a paper cut that I did. You know, I'll do a string of owls on one of them because I did a poem about owls. I'll 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 do a mountain because I did a poem about a mountain. Mm -hmm. I love the mixing art, the mixing the arts because poetry is an art, mm -hmm. drawing is an art. You know, and it's lovely to mix two arts together to meld them yes. into one. In fact, mm -hmm. that's. There's a type of poetry, what is it, a frastic or something like yes. that? It's I've it. a lot of pictures. Yep. That's right, a frastic poetry. I use them a lot in this group that I'm in called Poets Connection. Um, we'll do these little challenges sometimes. I'll put up about three or four pictures and we write poetry to that. And I, I made the finals, but I didn't win the prize of our The Land Museum. Mm -hmm. I invited poets to do a poem for pictures and there were about 15 to 20 of us for each picture we could only pick one picture and mine was the one that went in for that picture but then all 50 pictures were on display and everybody who came got to vote for it oh. so i'm really pleased i'm also in their collection mm -hmm. for a poem i wrote about a, a a mixed media art form it was sort of painting with some paste stuff on it you know it was it was a mixed media it was fun to do and i was really pleased to make the final cut at the deland museum nice congratulations that's really awesome you know it, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the winner of the the contest Correct. but the fact that you created something and then it it did get recognized you know in the, the final run so that's great good for you well, one of the biggest thrills as an author for me mm -hmm. is I know people read my books. Mm -hmm. And Amazon is, it's hard to sell there for me. I'm, I'm working on how to do it better. But the biggest thrill I have is when I'll see in my royalty check that I have a 220 yen royalty, which mm -hmm. is about $2, which means somebody in Japan bought one of my books. And that <laughs> thrills me. 
Somebody yeah. in Japan is reading my poetry. Somebody in England. Uh, I've had royalties in euros. Somebody in Europe somewhere is reading my book. And that, at least for me as an author, to know mm -hmm. somebody overseas is actually looking at my work, that's yeah. wonderful. It makes it all worthwhile. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and actually, it can cost quite a bit to get a book um, shipped to these other countries. So I found that out with the anthology that I just did because I had some mm -hmm. contributors from other countries. And um, yeah, so they're spending a lot of money to get your book. Well, yeah. that makes it even more exciting. I know, but they want it really bad. So Yes. Wow, that's great. I'm loving the Zoom world. So many people tell me they hate the Zoom world. Mondays, I'm in a poetry group in Cape Town, South Africa. Well, that's great. African poets read, and then we do a round robin where we each get to speak twice. Mm -hmm. Thursdays and Fridays, I'm in Portland, Oregon with a group out there called Write Around Portland, where we share our poems and we share our writing. I've been to a poetry Zoom in England and all over the place. It's just, yeah, it's so exciting. It and is, I love it. When I Zoom to um, South Africa, where they speak English, it was so interesting. And I thought, well, I should know this, Howard. I was so surprised that poetry is universal. They were talking about colonization. They were talking about some of the same topics that I write about. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I, I knew poetry is poetry. All poets, we're, we're universal. It doesn't matter. You can place us anywhere. We will write and mm -hmm. we will write what we want. And if people accept it, great. If they don't accept it, they can move yeah. on. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I wrote a poem this morning and I thought, man, this is really blunt. I wonder how it's going to be accepted. Then I told myself, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> it's my poem. You know, so I said what I had to say. But yeah. So how about you share some of your poetry with us? I'd love to hear you read. Okay. This one is from Poems from a Shattered Brain, but I also think I put it in White Fox, my Native American poetry, because it is a Native poem. It's called Starving. Yes, please do. And it's about life in Alaska is an Inuit. Starving. The young Inuit mother listens to her baby's cry of hunger. She remembers mother and grandmother feeding her seal meat. She remembers eating muktuk, pieces of whale skin and blubber, traditional food. He can almost taste the tender crisp texture and feel it filling her belly. Her baby's cries continue a young husband looks for work in the town. He can no longer fish or hunt. In his mind, he hears his young daughter's cries. He stands in line next to the town hall, waiting for his food allotment. Proud men and women, young and old, stand in line, swallowing their pride, doing what they must to feed their families. Generations who made their living from ice and sea, no longer able. New regulations make it impossible. They can no longer hunt or fish to feed their families. Babies cry from empty bellies, the old waste away, the young move to the city. Nearby, young, well-fed colonial whites stand in groups. They hold their signs, save the seals, no more wailing. When the old ways die, babies die, the old die. The spirit of a people dies. 
is and the if I may, something. Let me let me read a, a book. This is the only poem I've ever well no, I've written two poems about my grandfather and his brother. I should have marked these ahead of time. That's okay. Page 32. This poem is called Escaping the Res. And the res is how natives, the slang term for the reservation. Mm-hmm. Escaping the res. Grandfather's brother found a way to escape the reservation. Grand uncle escaped by enlisting, by doing his patriotic duty. He escaped into the war to end all wars, the Great War, the War of Nations. Grand uncle escaped to France, not even a citizen. It was not yet 1924. Granduncle found his way to escape the reservation. His escape was final. His escape was complete. His escape was permanent. His escape was irreversible. Granduncle escaped to a grave in a field in France. <sighs> I mentioned he wasn't a citizen. You know, World War I was long before 1924. 1924 was the date of the American Indian Citizenship Act when Native Americans were made citizens of the United States. The, I believe it was 14th Amendment that said anybody born in America was an American citizen, but Congress said it didn't apply to Native Americans. Mm -hmm. So they really didn't become citizens till 1924. My dad was born in 1922, I believe. I don't know if he was born an American citizen or not. But technically, I was the first in my family on my grandfather and father's side to be born an American citizen because I was born in 51. So it's, you know, it's researching my native heritage has really brought so much to mind. Mm-hmm. I hear on the warm line, the uh, mental health line I talk to all the time about people who tell me family and friends are the worst when it comes to helping them. And that prompted me to write this poem, if I may, called Lost at Sea. I have never been lost at sea, surrounded by darkness and even darker water bobbing among the waves. Nothing but a small life vest to keep me afloat. I have never felt the relief from hearing the blades of chopper overhead waiting as a spotlight tracks across the water until it settles and encircles me. Never felt the release of seeing a rescuer being lowered, hearing a stranger's voice call out, you're safe now, I gotcha, you're going home. I've never experienced the feeling of having hundreds of strangers relentlessly searching for me, or dozens of planes and helicopters crisscrossing hundreds of miles of ocean searching of family, friends, neighbors, and strangers in prayer, sending their wishes and hopes out for my safe return. No, I have never been lost at sea. I have been lost in a sea of darkness in my mind, drowning in anxiety, while paranoia does its best to pull me under. I have been lost in the darkness of depression, swimming among the shadow monsters, hoping to see the spotlight appear out of the darkness to lead me home. I have waited to hear a stranger yell, you're safe now, I got you, you're going home. Instead, I hear, get over it, snap out of it. You're being dramatic, it's all in your head. You don't look sick, you're just being selfish. 
Sometimes I wonder if it would be better if I were to be lost somewhere in the dark, lonely expanse of the sea. And unfortunately, there's so many people with mental illnesses, that's a reality. Yeah, it, it's true. Yep. You know, we, we work in that we field, I know. Who fall off their boat, but we don't want to help our family who are suffering from depression, anxiety, and so many other things. Yeah. And I, I was hoping that poem would point that out to people. I've read that at a lot of venues I go to. Yeah. Well, I, I think it really it makes the point really clear. I really like that poem. I really don't want to like that poem because of what it means, but yet it's an important poem that we need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I've been an activist my whole life. I tell people I'm a hippie, 60s hippie, because that's when I was in high school and college, yeah. who never grew up. <laughs> Same here. You know, and it has influenced my poetry so much. You know, I have a poem in that book that you see to like so much, my illustrated poetry book called Roof Over My Head. Mm -hmm. Ice and snow, wind and rain. Cardboard forms my home. I sleep under blankets of newsprint and rags. I joke that I do have a roof over my head. I live under a bridge. The highway is my roof. You know, also, down I, where I used to live, there was uh, the bridge overpass. And when you would walk, because I would walk down to the store, go through there and you'd look up and there would be people living under the overpass with the radio and had their bedding up there and everything. I, just like, wow, how fortunate I was. And they sneak up in that little place where the bridge and the, you know, the, that concrete ramp meet. Yep. They, they sneak up in that little area up there, just yep. enough room for them to lay. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we've been, as poets I'm, have been described as the conscience of a country, the heart of a country, the eyes of a country. And I believe that is all true. I think as a poet, we not only have a duty to point out beauty, mm -hmm. but that's so easy to do. You know, beauty is easy to point out. So yeah. When we have the challenge to point out what's horrible, what's wrong, mm -hmm. when, we, when we have the guts to point out the warts and everything that shouldn't be happening in a country like this. And I, I believe that not just a poet. I think all writers have an obligation to do that. But the poet, yeah. I think, is a little deeper obligation because of the vehicle we use, poetry. Mm -hmm. To keep it powerful. Yes. This is a, a Native-inspired poem I wrote. It's in my Outside Looking In Illustrated Poetry book. It was actually inspired by Carl Sandburg's grass. You know, cover them under, let me work, I am the grass, I cover all. It was called Snow. Snow covers the slain at wounded knee, old men, women and children. Snow covers the trail over 1,000 miles, nothing but hardship over 4,000 dead. Snow covers the gallows, 38 hanged as 4,000 watched in Mankato Square. Snow covers our lands, snow covers our graves, snow covers your murders, snow, so white and so pure. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh, you really you really know how to make that pen leak blood. It's really good. 
Really good. Yeah. Great. I was influenced by Robert Frost growing up as a child in grade school. We still had LP albums, the old 33s. Yeah. I'm not going to say you're old enough to remember that, but if you I are. I am, yes. And I wore out in grade school. I had to replace them with my allowance for my parents. Two of their albums. One was a spoken word record by Orson Welles, who inspired me to be a radio announcer, I believe. He has the best voice in the universe. Oh, my, yes. <laughs> the other was the poetry of Robert Frost, read by Robert Frost. Ooh. I loved him. And in eighth grade, when we had to memorize a poem, I thought, memorize? I've been listening for, you know, two years, wearing out this album. I can repeat most of his stuff from heart. Now, I still love him. He's a he's an accomplished poet. You can never take that away from him. Mm-hmm. But he was a consummate colonial. He was a he was the he was the height epitome of what colonials believe. His his poem that he read at JFK's inauguration, you know, the gift outright, the land was ours before we were the land. We were the lands more than 3,000 years before, you know, he went on and on. But his poem, in essence, said that the colonials are the ones who deserve the land. And as a child, I always loved the poetry and the melodic sounds of that poem. As an adult, as a, as a teenager and a college student, I started to realize you know, yes, he was a colonial and he he so put forth colonial ideas. But part of me says, so what? I don't want to stop listening to him as a poet. I mean, John Wayne once said that Native Americans deserve to have all the land taken away from him because they were stingy and wouldn't share it with the whites. I still like John Wayne. I mean, his movies are good. I, I still enjoy watching his old black and white movies, but I I now don't revere him as a person. I think he's a good actor. And I think that's part of being mature is we mm-hmm. stop having idols and gods and people that we worship. And we start just accepting that everybody has what is an Ozymandias. Yes, we all have the clay feet or something like that. Uh, you know, we, everybody has that, but we can appreciate what they were good at. Mm-hmm but also recognize that they had the side of them that was dark. Yeah. Side that was woke up. Yes. One of my favorite authors growing, my two favorite authors were Salinger. Oh, I loved Franny and Zooey and Catcher in the Rye and all that stuff. But when I was in college, I was at Rensselaer Polytech in Troy, New York. Mm -hmm. And we were given, it was a math college. left math my sophomore year and went into speech and drama and writing and radio it was a math college and the book we had to read in our first literature class was cat's cradle by kurt vonnegut well vonnegut grew up in troy vonnegut's city in cat's cradle was ilium well ilium was troy and i became a vonnegut fan he is wonderful his black humor his mm-hmm tongue-in-cheek you know just and you know I, I i think of kilgore trout one of his characters you know and i think boy that would be a great screen name kilgore trout but you can't steal from vonnegut you okay. can't steal. he writes a poem about i mean a story about billy pilgrim in one of his books where billy pilgrim who suffered through the bombing at dresden 
in his dreams, he's watching it in reverse. The bombs are coming up from the ground. The buildings are coming back up. The bombs are going into the planes. The planes are going back to the ships. The ships are bringing the bombs back to America. The bombs are being disassembled. And, you know, the, the raw materials being put back into the earth. And I wrote a poem. I don't have it here. It's one of my newer poems about the logging industry that way how the earth has been plundered and how, you know, we can watch in our dream, you know, mm -hmm. the trees writing themselves, the, 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 the logging trucks bringing the trees back, the trees writing themselves and, and how the earth is healed because. That sounds interesting. Um, is that poem published in one of your books? Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. It's in the works. Huh? It's in the works. Okay. You know, natives revere the earth, but you don't have to be native to appreciate the earth. I mean, that's not a, a, right. a native idea. Colonial whites, what you know, anybody, European, Mexican, anybody should appreciate the fact that the earth, I call it our mother, and I have Christian friends who always tell me that that's, I had a Christian friend tell me once, and I don't want to get in an argument about it, that Believing in Mother Earth was like believing in the Tooth Fairy, which I was a little upset with because I thought we were friends and I would never tell him that his religion had inconsistencies in it. I just ignored him and he's never approached that subject again. But, yeah. you know, thinking as the Earth of us as our mother, so many traditions say we sprang from the Earth. Heck, even in one of the Old Testament stories, don't doesn't God mold us out of clay? We came out of the earth in one of the Old Testament stories. So thinking as the earth of source of life is not something odd. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, we're all elemental. Yes. Know, in some ways. Atoms. Waiting to be split apart. Well, how about you take us out with one more poem? Okay, I have got another one in you. My, you my recent book, the illustrated poetry book, and I opened it and it came to City Life. That was one of the illustrations I had the hardest time with, but I think it turned out well, the buildings and the cars in a line. In fact, that was inspired by a photograph I saw of a busy city street, mm -hmm. City Life. Noise deafens, sounds invade. Crowds push, people shove, feeling alone among the masses, being faceless, unknown. Easy to become lost, hard to connect. Isolation, loneliness, city life. Very nice. Thank you. Howard, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share? Not really. I, I go by the half-blind Florida poet because my second stroke took the most of the peripheral vision out of my left eye. So I'm not really half blind, but to give yourself a nickname to say I'm the sorta kinda partially blind Florida poet didn't sound cool. Half blind Florida poet sounded cool. And that name was available. Uh, that's my, that's how you can find me on YouTube, half blind Florida poet. Okay. Don't search for Howard Moon. Howard Moon is the character in a British comedy called The Mighty Boosh. And mm -hmm. if you search for Howard Moon, you will get clips of The Mighty Boosh, which I love. It's a comedy that makes Monty Python look normal. 
It's a very, very <laughs> strange Brit comedy. So I'm the half-blind sort of poet. I will be putting all of your links and your bio in the show notes, too, so that people who are watching or listening can take a look at all of these. So um, I can attest to the wonderful poetry that you have in your illustrated book. And what you've read to us today was absolutely beautiful. And I'm going to have to do some more book shopping, I do believe. <laughs> so thank you so much, Howard, for coming on here today. Lisa, it was a delight. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I want you to have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Come back again soon. Would you like to be on our podcast? Send an email to prolificpulse at gmail.com and we'll get back to you soon. Thank you. Have a good day.